Talk That Talk. I'm your host, Fallon Stokes, and I have three very special guests for this interview today. I have my angel, Cody, a woman warrior. We have Trey The Truth, who is the hometown hero out of Houston. And we have a gentleman by the name of Kevin Finner, who is represented or was represented by my angel, Cody, as well as a partnership with Trey in getting his sentence uh, commuted and getting his release or getting him released sooner. He was facing a life sentence or serving a life sentence and now he is free. So welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm so happy you guys could join. Thank you. Much love to everybody. <laughs> Much love. So I wanted to talk about this partnership, uh, my angel, between you and Trey and how this even transpired. How did you guys join forces? Yeah, so... You know, I think as a lawyer, sometimes we stand in court and in courtrooms and at podiums, but the the work that is happening on the ground um, is vitally important. And so that's why it was really important for um, our organization to partner with Trey, because he, like you said, he is the hometown hero, but he's also doing amazing work around the country. Um, he's got anytime there's a crisis, anytime anyone needs him. Um, he's there. And so for the kind of work that I do, I represent people who are serving mandatory federal life sentences for drugs, pushing the conversation about unfair life sentences in America's drug policies. And it only made sense to partner with Trey um, because of his reach, because of his credibility and because of just his courage in doing work that's necessary to move our people forward and get our people free. Mm. So Trey, can you just talk a little bit about you know, how you found out about my angel and the work she was doing and what made you want to join forces with her? Um, I think what happened uh, uh, years ago, me and um, our other partner, um, Brittany, were, um, we were talking about the stuff and she was telling me everything that they were doing. And, you know, at that point, I kind of just kept it on my radar. But, you know, I, I'm always frontline for the people. And then, you know, with me, having an older brother doing two life sentences and just having so many homeboys and people I deal with that's been locked up. You just can appreciate what they were doing. And then on top of it, um, you know, they were doing the work and behind the scenes, only a few people really know that they were doing the work. A lot of people were giving credit to like Kim Kardashian and other situations. And no discredit to them at all, but I just felt like with them being sisters trying to, to, to handle their business and and the time and the the effort and everything that they were given to try and get people home, I felt like I wanted to find a way to help get them recognized, but in the process, help people at the same time. And I don't know. You know, I got on the phone with them, and we ain't looked back since. And we, um, what are we at now, my angel? We're at the 55 or 54. Yeah, 54. Life sentences reduced. Yeah. 54 wow. families reunited. Um, one thing I will say about Trey, which um, we've partnered with other influencers, but I, I think just the level of his dedication to the work, like we mm -hmm. are on the phone constantly and he is constantly pushing me like, what's next? We're, who, who are we getting out next? And I think that level of inertia, um, especially in 2020, has really just brought a lot of inspiration to the people that we're fighting for. Um, and to the work. Mm. That's so, um, just so amazing. And, and that was a great point, Trey. You know, like 
you were saying before, it seemed like other people like Kim Kardashian were getting credit for this work and not to take away for, you know, their influence and involvement. But, you know, my angel and Brittany have been behind the scenes doing this work and really putting in the hours and time and, you know, selecting clients that they want to do the work for. So, you know, I applaud everything you guys are doing. But, you know, I know we don't have you long, Trey, but I want to ask you another question. I know you've been around the country protesting um, in this social climate. I'm, I'm around the country as we speak now. I'm in Miami. In Miami. The, uh, boat. Yeah, we vote before they kill us. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm out here. We on tour now for the next two weeks trying to get everybody going. And that's been like the tagline, hashtag all year long. Like we need people to vote. November 3rd is going to be so important this year. And I applaud you for your efforts in doing this. But just talk a little bit about like police brutality. I know you on the front line in Louisville with Breonna Taylor protests, as well as, you know, the murder of George Floyd. And I know he was a a good friend of yours um, who supported you a lot when he was alive. So can you just speak a little bit about you know, what's been transpiring and your your activism um, in that realm? Well, I mean, my heart is my heart. So this is what I do just naturally. Uh, and I got to clarify, I didn't go to Louisville to protest. I moved to Louisville with my oh. until Freedom family. We we lived there. They, we left our families, left our kids. We left everything that we knew as life to go out there to stand for Brianna with the family and with others because at the end of the day, you know, man, we go back to normal lives. The lives that they lost will uh, uh, never be back and they'll never be normal. So a lot of times people feel like they left alone. So it's very important that we get out there and stand with them. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, one of the advocates and one of the people that really feel I just stand for what's right and I go against what's wrong. So it don't matter if it's a police force, if it's an army, or if it's whoever. If I don't believe in it and I feel like somebody get messed over in the process and, you know, I always, I'm the type when everybody jump in the bully and pick on somebody, I'm the one that probably team up with the person that's getting bullied on just to take the slack. I got you. So that's just, that's just my human nature, you know? No, that's awesome. And, and tell us a little bit, of, a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing in Miami and where you'll be over the next couple of weeks, you know, before November 3rd. So right now we're doing a state of emergency vote tour. Yesterday we were in Orlando. Today we're in Miami. Tonight I'll be in Birmingham, Alabama. Then I'll be in Mobile. Then I'll be in Atlanta. Uh, I don't know. We just, you know, we moving every single day. I got you. You know, and that's, you know, that's as a team because, you know, I'm part of Until Freedom too, which is my sister Tamika Mallory, mm-hmm. Linda Sartor, um, my son, Angelo. I mean, you know, that's another, because, you know, I got my release gang, which is me and my partner, Mr. Rogers, which, you know, we rescue, save people from disasters, hurricanes, just help the hood out in every city, every state. And then I have my Until Freedom family when I'm on the front line. And then, of course, you know, I have my buried alive when we go out here to fight for these prisoners, the same way I fight for people out here in the street. So it's just, a, I just keep busy, you know. And then the crazy thing is, as I'm talking about that, my main career is music, so it's just like I'm just I'm all over. <laughs> yeah, I know you're an artist side with Grand Hustle Ti. I'm from Atlanta, so you know we know Ti well. I've just been listening to his music for years and yours as well. And um, I think that is forgotten because your activism and philanthropy is so great that we forget about the fact that you are an artist. But 
I yeah, want to definitely just, forget. Yeah, but no. I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. I know you're busy, so I didn't want to keep you for very long. But if it's anything else you want to say, closing out. Yeah, no, no, it's all, it's all love. We in Dade County right now. I'm about to go door to door in the projects and the homes, trying to um, trying to get some of the uh, the people to understand we got to get up and take the stuff in our own hands. Man. We got to wake up. But on side of that, man, I encourage people to donate to our cash app, which is buried alive, because you have people like my angel and them that's, that's taking these cases for free. You know, like they don't get anything out of this. They just do, they they doing God's work. And on top of that, I got to shout out to um, Kevin Fenner too. You know, his, his is going to be a, his, his situation is going to be a special one to me because he was the first one that I actually stepped on board and was involved with to as far as coming home. So, you know, it's a little more personal and just watching the whole reuniting of him and his family and everything, man. But um, definitely support Buried Alive. And, um, you know, because they're they going to continue to do the work regardless, but everybody got to understand we all need help at some point, even including myself. So right. we should all do what we can do to stick together because what if that was one of y'all family members? You would want her to fight for them just as well as like, me fight for them. Right. Right. So true. Well, again, Trey, we thank you for joining. Talk that talk and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You are well, really appreciate it. I mean, I give you my gratitude because you're on the front line fighting the good fight for all of us. So continue to do it. Be safe. And, you know, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Y'all take care. God bless. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, Kevin. All right, my angel. Hey, my brother. Thank you. Yeah, much love, brother. All right. So, wow. you know, that was wow. just powerful to see what Trey's doing. Uh, Trey the truth. We got to follow him, uh, continue to support him because he's doing phenomenal work in this in this culture and in this country. So circling back, we got my angel and we still have Mr. Fenner still on the line. So let's talk about this whole dynamic. Um, my angel. Now, with your uh, private firm and your own practice, um, the decarceration collective, you select clients that you want to represent because unfortunately you can't represent everybody. It's very expensive to do the type of work you're doing. And like Trey was saying, you have to continue to get the support and the financial support in order to do this work. So how did you select Mr. Fenner to be one of your clients? Yeah. So I, I do lead the decarceration collective. We are a black woman powered law firm fighting a free people sentenced to life in prison for drugs and to end the policies that put them there. And so, and we're not, you know, some disorganized shop. We have a spreadsheet that has been years in the making and questionnaires to all federal drug lifers in prison, mm-hmm. um, asking them, uh, questions about their case, about how long they've been in prison, were they serving life sentences, were they treated unfairly by the judge, by the, uh, their lawyers. And so Mr. Fenner was one of the people who wrote back and sent us a questionnaire you know, years ago. So we put everybody in our database and we've just been tracking cases. Um, when we finally got a change in the crack laws that opened the door slightly, um, for some people, the First Step Act um, 2018, we went through our, our list of names and Mr. Fenner was one of those who we believed that we could go back into the in court for. 
um, just what's to me, the unfairness of his case jumped off the page. He received a mandatory life without parole sentence for um, a third drug conviction, no violence, no dangerousness, no weapons, just straight drugs. And, you know, the idea, I think that a lot of people um, know about, you know, innocent people getting out of prison, which I think is important and right. work. But I always wanted to push the conversation forward about what about people who are serving unfair sentences, right? Who may have committed some offense or drug offense, um, but the sentence doesn't fit the crime. And that's not a conversation that's happening often enough and with the same amount of uh, vigor that it needs to happen in this country. And so, you know, after researching Mr. Finner's case and talking to him, you know, I felt confident that we could get him back into court and that we had a good shot of getting his life sentence reduced. He had been in prison for many years, right? And so I always wanted to just honor um, his survivorship because it takes a lot of audacity and courage to wake up and breathe through a life sentence every day and mm. to not be broken by a life sentence uh, without parole. And so that is, I took my cue and my energy from the way I felt like he had walked for the last 14, 15 years of a life sentence. And I still do that. I still am inspired by him in the way that he is walking in dignity. So we filed a motion, it was about 20 pages, all the exhibits, I attached all the letters from prison guards who were supporting his release. Um, Very extraordinary package that he had been putting together over the course of his incarceration, right? And so as a lawyer, that made it, you know, easy for me to go back in there and say, judge, this is somebody who shouldn't die in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we got a response from the prosecutor's office that they were not opposing, right? And so, like, they didn't even oppose us on Mr. Fenner's release because it was such a compelling case of unfairness. Mm. So that's that's just amazing. Um, And it's good you bring that up about the First Step Act because prior to that legislation being enacted in 2018, the only way you could get released from a life sentence is if the president stepped in and gave you clemency. So, I mean, you know, how has this law or is this the first step moving towards more criminal justice reform for sentencing? And like, how is it working with these judges, I guess, to put these packets together to give a presentation to say, hey, this person deserves a second chance? Um, And are judges or prosecutors being more open to it or is it still hard to get this type of work done? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an amazing question. I want to start with this idea of criminal justice reform, because I have said many times that I think criminal justice reform is the lowest possible bar of change that we could ask for. I think that um, we haven't even really had criminal justice form in America yet. It hasn't even been born in America yet. And so we're not even at the point where we can say that we want criminal justice reform. I want the creation and the formation of criminal justice. There has never been a time in this country where Black people weren't subjected to fugitive slave laws, um, lynchings, Jim Crow, you know, mass incarceration. And so there is no time that there's been criminal justice in America. 
And I think what we've seen repeatedly is sort of the political spin uh, that we are at a, a reformational stage without even the formation of criminal justice. And so I think that's what the work is that we're doing, um, not only with defending people in federal court and disrupting the obstacles for their reentry, mm-hmm. but also amplifying their voices and making sure that people like Mr. Fenner have access to the public conversation about criminal justice in America's prison policy and judicial violence that happens to people in court when they're buried alive under life sentences. Um, I think, you know, I've, there's been a lot of conversation about the First Step Act. There's been a lot of back padding and press conferences about it. But the First Step Act was really, um, th- that seed started under President Obama with the Fair Sentencing Act. And that's what reduced the disparity between crack and powder cocaine, which is so important because what we saw over the last 30 years is that people who sell crack, who are predominantly African-American, receive draconian, harsh sentences. They're launched into outer space with sentences. Um, And a person who sold, you know, exponentially more cocaine powder would not have received that sort of sentence, right? Mm -hmm. So in Mr. Finner's case, you know, it was like a a golf ball size of crack uh, and that required him to forfeit his entire life's freedom. Uh, A person who may have been Caucasian could have sold a suitcase full of cocaine powder and avoided a life sentence, right? And so that law, the Fair Sentencing Act, reduced some of that disparity and didn't eliminate it. Mm -hmm. But what happened is they, you know, they wanted to make it retroactive so that it applied to people like Mr. Finner. Couldn't get the Republicans on board to do that. Couldn't get them to support the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act. The Mitch McConnells of Congress would not bring it to the floor under President Obama. And so what we saw is that President Obama had to do thousands of clemencies or commutations because the Democrats couldn't get the legislation on the floor because Mm. of uh, Republican stonewalling. I think that history is important. Very. Attributing um, criminal justice reform wins to the Republican Party, right? Because I, I remember taking my client to Washington, D.C., um, who testified before Congress about what it felt like to serve a life sentence. And he was asking Congress to vote on the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act so that the people that they had left behind could have a chance at freedom as well. And it was stonewalled. Um, and then fast forward, we're under a new administration, same bill, suddenly it gets brought to the floor, and suddenly there's all this um, attributing criminal justice reform to one party over the other, right? right? So I think the question is, you know, that's what happens when you get reform. You get all the political stuff uh, happening, but there's still people in prison. I think that um, in Mr. Finner's case, the prosecutor was fair-minded. Mm-hmm. But in 75% of my cases, they opposed. So after the cameras were turned off and after the press conference and everyone was clapping and standing behind the president, uh, happy to see the First Step Act signed into law, what I saw in courtrooms and podiums around the country was that that same Department of Justice was opposing implementation of that act that the president had just signed. 
So, you know, I mean, I think that's very important for people to know. That's how we, that we have to stay vigilant. We have to make sure that after the press conference and after the law is passed, that it's fairly implemented, that people have access to judges. It's not a get out of jail free card. We had to petition to a federal judge to present evidence that Mr. Fenner deserved his freedom back. And that's the way that we got here. So I think that um, I certainly find judges um, who were handcuffed, right? Because in Mr. Fenner's case, the judge had no discretion over his life sentence. The judge mm-hmm. had to impose a mandatory life sentence. Right. And the judge said on the record at Mr. Fenner's sentencing that he did not want to impose a mandatory life sentence, but he had no choice. And so finally, seeing judges unhandcuffed um, and able to impose sentences that they think are fair based on their experience is very, very important. Yeah. And just to clarify for Mr. Fender's sentence, like, you know, you talked about the discrepancies between a sentencing range for somebody who had cocaine compared to crack cocaine. And, you know, we know with the Reagan administration, when the crack epidemic happened in the 80s, it was a lot of legislation going on to be hard on the war on drugs. And then the crime bill signed in 1994 by President Clinton with the three strikes you're out. So is was he a victim of the three strikes you're out? Law? Yes. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make right. sure. Okay. He stood at yeah. the intersection of both of those, right? And, and you're absolutely right, Fallon. Um, Mr. Finner's life sentence was set in motion in the 1980s mm. with the passage of the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, with the abolition of parole in the federal system. A lot of people don't know there's no parole in the federal system. Yeah. When a judge looks at you and says life, that doesn't mean you're going to get out 50%. You know, that's okay. life because we don't have a parole board. We don't have parole. And so with the abolition of parole under the Sentencing Reform Act of 1984, all of that created the seeds and set the soil for Mr. Finner's life sentence. Then of course, there was the three strikes drug law, right? Mm -hmm. And there was the disparity between crack and powder cocaine sentences. And all of that becomes the soil in which Mr. Finner was buried alive. So, Mr. Finner, just just talk a little bit about, you know, your circumstances. Like, I know you told me a little bit before, like you've admitted I'm not I'm not innocent. But at the same time, I didn't deserve a life sentence. So no, not at all. Just talk about a little bit, you know, about your time, you know, when you were in that type of activity or drug activity. And then, you know, hearing you receiving a life sentence and serving the amount of time, like how much time did you serve in federal prison? Well, actually, I served 14 years, three months, and a few weeks. Okay. Um, but to, to, to go back a little bit, uh, I went to trial because I just knew that there was no reason, there's no way possible I could have got a life sentence in my head. I was like, well, this little drugs that I, that, that they, and then they didn't catch me, they caught someone else with it. But that's mm-hmm. besides the point. I was in a, involved in a conspiracy. So it doesn't make a difference whether I got caught with it or not. Someone got caught with it in their underwear pants, miles away from away from me, but they gave it all to me mm. because of the conspiracy. I had three other co-defendants. They had been long gone. They one received ten years, one received uh, four years, and I received a life sentence due to the fact that I had a prior drug conviction. Mm-hmm. Now, um, now, fast forward during the time when I got sentenced. In federal prison, they don't have no type of uh, uh, 
rehabilitation programs. They're starting to implement them now, very little, very, very little, but they're implementing a few now. But back then they had none. So my rehabilitation was for myself mm. because I just didn't want, quote unquote, for these people to beat me. They already took my life. They're not going to take my, my character or my dignity. I refuse to let them do that. But I want to also show my children that, look, your old man is behind bars, but I want you to do better because I'm doing better. Right. How can I tell them to do better? And I'm, 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 they call me, I'm calling them and, you know, I'm t- still talking the way I talked back then. So I want to show them that, hey, look, your old man is changing. So I want you to do better. And which it helped. But my change was for myself, purely for myself. You know, and it was a blessing because it, it all helped me. But I want you to understand, in prison, there is no rehabilitation. You know, you have to want to change for yourself. You know. So what are some of the things that you were doing in prison to rehabilitate yourself? Wow, I took so many of uh, these fake classes that they so-called had. <laughs> but there were inmates that was teaching them. Okay. So the, the, the classes that I would take, uh, you know, um, uh, it was called men, men of character or something like that. It was, I can't remember, but I took a life connection. It was a religious program. You know, that was, that's the only thing that the BOP implements. It's an 18 month program. That was good, but it was strictly for religious purposes, mm-hmm. but you got no, you, you received no type of, uh, um, only thing you got out of it was you can get transferred somewhere. So they sent me to one USP to another USC that was worse, <laughs> wow. but that was okay. I just, I just wanted to move around, you know, but, uh, it was certain things like, uh, I took, uh, every kind of educational, um, uh, wow. So many, uh, uh, electrician classes. Um, uh, I took everything educational I could that would help me. Right. On a, you know, hope is a very powerful, uh, emotion, man. And it's what helped me and what saved me to keep wanting to move forward. You know, um, dietary cook, uh, doing textile. And, and while I was in prison, I learned the craft that, you know, is just, I think can last forever. And I make leather bags, leather book bags out of hand. Wow. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hand. And it's a craft that, wow, you know, that can take me a long way, you know? So you know, I'm very grateful for actually going to prison because t- as crazy as this may sound, it saved my life. Mm. And yeah. I say that because um, the experience, everything that I went through, being all the turmoil, all the stress, it made me a better person. Cause now I'm out here now, I appreciate all the little things. I got on a bus and a train and I talked to everybody. <laughs> I talked to everybody. Hey, how you doing? What you doing? How you doing? Where you going to a job? I, I talked to everybody. <laughs> oh, but, you, you know, but you'll be amazed how just that little thing makes a person, makes a difference in a person's life. Everybody I see, everybody got this frown in their face and, you know, they just so uptight and, hey, man, let's be happy. Right. You alive, you above ground, and you free. 
and you winning. You winning. You got half the battle won. So today, there's nothing in this world that can make me complain, that will bring me sadness, even if someone was to die. Wow. To God we from God we come, to God we will return. So you know what? It was his turn. Everybody's going to taste death. You know, what did you do in this life that can bring you to make somebody always want to talk about you? And that's what I want to leave. A legacy. I hear you. A legacy. I hear you. My angel, I think you were going to say something a minute ago. Yeah. I mean, I think there is something that um, Mr. Finner said that is worth noting, and that is that he went to trial. And what we've seen is in America's response to the war on drugs and growing addiction, addiction, America itself has grown addicted to incarceration. And some of the ways in which that manifests is people think they have a right to go to trial. Mm -hmm. But if you go to trial and you do have a constitutional right to go to trial, you've got your Sixth Amendment right. But if you go to trial, you will pay a trial tax. And that trial tax for Mr. Finner was a life sentence. If he had not gone to trial and if he had taken a guilty plea, he wouldn't have faced a life sentence. And so one of the myths that I think a lot of your listeners may believe is that people are in prison for crime. Right. People are in prison for crime and the decision to go to trial, where people are in prison for crime and their decision not to cooperate and become a state's witness yes. because they have yes. safety concerns about, you know, cooperating and being what, you know, on the street we call a snitch. And so you, if you don't get a cooperation coupon at checkout, you can get a life sentence. If you, don't, if you go to trial and you don't plead out, you can get a life sentence. And those are factors that are beyond the offense, right? Because mm-hmm. what happens, I see this in many of my cases, is my clients will say, Miss Cody, they offered me 10 years, they offered me 12 years, but I just went to trial because I wanted to exercise my trial rights. And then the prosecutor files an enhancement, a three strikes enhancement against you to punish, to retaliate for the exercise of the trial rights. And so I always say, if 12 years was sufficient punishment for this person's offense, had they pled, why should they get mandatory life? Because they went to trial. Right. Right. And, you know, you see that on the state level, um, just with your right. I talk to my clients all the time about that and just making an informed decision about going to trial. Um, ultimately, it's the client's decision. I never try to force feed it, but I just try to make them as informed as possible but it's situations where they may have been offered, you know, a minimal amount of time, but they're like, I'm not trying to go to prison. I'm going to go to trial. And it's my right. And I'm like, it is. And then when they do, and if they get convicted, they're penalized. You know, it's in our jurisdiction, they get a recidivist notice or the state will file one to enhance sentencing. And you're right. Then the judge's hands are tied because it's a mandatory amount of time that this person has to receive. Um, and judges, they will penalize you. Like they don't understand that Sixth Amendment right that you have a right to go to trial and a judge is supposed to be a neutral party to listen to both sides and just listen to the evidence um, and and make those decisions. If someone gets convicted or if they still if it's still within their power to give a reasonable amount of time for somebody based on the evidence. So that's a continued fight. 
as a continuum. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And that goes back to what we were talking about, criminal justice reform, right? Mm-hmm. We're tinkering with the apparatus because, and that's all you do. As long as we have um, a prosecutorial system that's addicted to plea bargaining mm-hmm. and it's constantly feeding for plea bargaining, then all we're going to have is reform. All we're going to do is tinker. We may let a few people out. We may renovate the rooms in prisons. But the machine itself is still not operating at a level of criminal justice, right? Like we don't have justice as long as people are being retaliated against for exercising their constitutional rights. Mm. So, Mr. Fender, tell me a little bit about what's the first thing you did when you heard that you were about to be released? Wow. To the Zers. Man, I cried. Um, I cried. I mean, I. They have a recording of it. I didn't know I was being recorded, man, but it's so powerful. I <laughs> I, I cried. I, I I could I could not and then when I left the when I left the uh council's office, I was so in the days I you know, because we were on covert lockdown. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the cell and I just fell down to the ground. I just started praying. I I I, I can't words can't even explain it. And then the most important thing that I was able to do. I had piles and piles of legal work that I had been carrying with me for so long. And it was like a burden, like a crutch attached to my back. And I was able to tear that stuff. And my celly was in the, in the room. And he said, man, it's okay. Go ahead. And I cried again when I was able to tear that stuff up because I no longer needed. Mm. I no longer needed it. I no longer had to go through my transcripts and I no longer needed that. And the words is so unexplainable. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in tears now thinking about it, man. It, it was the best day of my life. No, the first best day of my life. Mm-hmm. The second best day is when I was able to touch my children for the first time. In 14 and a half years, man, I was able to touch my children. It was so amazing. But that feeling alone, I, I just can't, I can't tell you in words how I feel. I can't. It's, 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 it's unimaginable. It's so powerful that thinking about it, I'm starting to cry. I'm, tears coming down my eyes right now. Because it was so powerful because I thought that was my abode. I thought that was it for me. And people don't understand this. When they say a life sentence in federal, they mean you die. And then they hold you for 24 hours. Then they release you. Mm. That's what a life sentence is in federal prison. Mm. You die. They chain you to a bed or to whatever slab. You, You still chain to that slab for 24 hours. Then they release you. And that's what I thought my abode was. I had even sat in, even though, don't get me wrong, I had hope because I knew that's what I needed to survive, to keep going, to get up in the morning, to be able to talk to my children and make them feel that I was coming home tomorrow. Guys around me, they never, when they was like, man, you got life sentence? I was like, well, technically, I got two life sentences in 30 years, technically. But, yeah, I got life sentences. They was like, man, I would have never thought in a million years you had life. Because what am I supposed to do? 
be around with a gloomy face and, oh, I got like, no, that's going to kill me. It gave me high blood pressure. So I know what the stress will do. Mm. I know what the stress will do. And I've seen so many guys around me with life that I felt like, oh, hey, I'm doing better than him because he got six life sentences. He got five life sentences. He got, so I felt cool. I was like, oh, well, I, I, I'm all right then. You know, but that's, that's, that's insane. Right. That's insane to feel like that and make it so you can feel better about yourself. So when I was told that my freedom that I had an outdate, regardless of what it was, if they would have told, listen, if they would have said, we're giving you 30 years, guess what? You probably would have got the same result. <laughs> I'd have probably cried like you would have got the same result. And we right. actually had a whole conversation about that, Mr. Fenner, because <laughs> yes. at first, you know, they came back to us and they were like, this is the offer. It was probably like, you know, he would have four or five more years. And I think, you know, this is the this is when you get really proximate to fighting for your client. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I think that we should counter. We need to go back and keep pushing because I wanted him to be immediately released. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find, you know, and listening to Mr. Fenner um, and just his bravery, one more day would have been an injustice. And that is what's most important for our people, right? We always get turned into numbers, kilos, grams, guidelines, mm-hmm. years in prison. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we just have to realize every day matters. People lose parents, they miss graduations, they miss birthdays, they miss holidays, they miss smiles, they miss breaths. And so every day matters. And we just, we, we talked about it. And I was like, Mr. Fenner, we have to push for immediate release. Like it has to be immediate release because anything else would have been an injustice given where he was and the arc of who he is. Mm. Yeah, not, uh, Mr. Fender, how was it when my angel told you that? Like, you, did you trust saying, like, okay, she's going to counter, or you just said it, like, you were just like, any reduction, you would take it at that point rather than a life sentence. Yeah, but she's she's so powerful, and you know what I mean? And, you know, I've seen her work. See, I, I, would, with, I was with four or five guys that had life sentence that she got out. <laughs> so my trust in her was ridiculous you know it was I, you know i noticed four or five guys that she left that was with me every day uh playing chess <laughs> that left wow so it's a high when she said that i said hey do what you do you know I me mean? but in my head anything was good for me but when she said it she's like mr fenner i don't think let's do this let's go back and counter i didn't say where i was like hey you know what do what you do and she did what she did. And I'm here right right here, standing here, talking to you on this podcast that, man, it's still a, it's still a dream to me. But it's a good dream. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's my fantasy, you know. It's a dream <laughs> come true. Fantasy. Yeah. Yes, it is. I couldn't even <laughs> yes, imagine. And for you to have the trust that so many clients, they don't, you know, they probably have been like, nah, I'll take what the state's offering. But it's, no. I applaud you for having the trust in your lawyer to know that she's doing the work and doing the best for you to get you out, you know, picking locks to cages, you know, one at a time. So I just think this is just awesome. Um, 
the work that she's but doing I will, and you, what I would like gone through. I would like to say this. Uh, she has a name in the in the federal prison that uh, I don't know if she noticed, <laughs> but she the pit bull in a skirt. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> hey, they say she the pit bull in the skirt in that courtroom, man. So, you know, when when she even when she when they took my case, it was a brother named Juice, Mr. Mm-hmm. Edwards. He had just left. So I was so ecstatic that they, she, she's like, contact me, email me. I was so ecstatic. I was, you know, and, and her comfort and her tone and everything, it just gives you comfort. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wow, she's, I know her name is my angel, but she's truly my angel. <laughs> I truly. know. What a perfect day, bro. It's like, it's just. Truly. It's, it speaks volumes. Um, you know, I'll just tell a little story. My first time meeting my angel was probably about five years ago. I went to Chicago to visit. And I remember we were just walking downtown. You know, she was taking a couple of friends of, um, friends of, and I to out to lunch. And she saw one of her former clients back when she was a federal defender. And I'm like, like, hey, Miss Cody, you know, how you doing? You know, I'm out, I'm doing well. And she's always so informed and still caring about our clients, even when they get out after doing the work. And I was just in awe. I was like, man, this work she's doing is amazing. And it's not that she's just taking it as a job to get paid to do it day in, day out. She does it because she's dedicated to it and she loves it. So I know. I think for me, they are my family. I don't, I don't have kids. I'm not married. These guys are my family. And, no question. you know, every one of them, all 54 of them, um, and putting together, repairing a bloodline, right, and making sure that Mr. Finner's grandkids have him in their life is so, so important to me. I also think just being a Black woman lawyer, right, like, my voice is always going to sound different at the podium. I'm never going to sound like a white man. I'm never going to have a baritone voice. And just standing there in a courtroom, speaking my truth, writing my truth, cutting concrete with my keyboard, that is my contribution. And I hope more uh, women and particularly Black women lawyers take up defense because we have a special way of defending people and a special and important way of translating lived experiences to decision makers. Mm. So I want to talk about, like we say, the November 3rd election is so important. So what is the advice you would give to listeners or voters who have not voted yet um, just about the importance of making a decision on who you select on November 3rd? Down ballot, down ballot, down ballot. And again, down ballot, down ballot, down ballot. (laughs) It's crucial because Congress passes the laws that either puts people in prison or lets them out of prison, right? That is correct. So we have to pay attention. The president signs the bills after they've been passed through Congress. We have to vote now. In two years, we got to go back for midterm elections and keep forming the Congress because if we do not take over Congress, and if it does not reflect the will of the people, then we will continue to see people locked up for sentences that are far beyond what is fair. So I always tell people, down ballot, down ballot, down ballot. Also, if you're voting on state court judges, 
Very important to know who they are. Very important to know what they stand for because state court judges operate and they serve at the will of the people. Mm -hmm. And if we have state court judges who are not fair, who are not listening, and who are just rubber stamping unfair sentences on people, then they should no longer be employed by right. as a voter. Right. And, and that's a great point. When I think about it, when you think about federal judges, those are appointed positions in, in life terms, you know, whereas on the state level, they're elected officials. So you have judges sometimes that don't even have experience, never even tried a case. Right. And now they're making a decision as to whether they're going to send somebody to prison or not. So I think that is so critical right. um, and, and, and important. I, absolutely. And I think every voter has to see themselves as an employer. People on that ballot are vying to be your employees. And if you see yourself as an employer, then you pick the right people to work for you. You pick the right people to implement what you believe is a system of fairness. Otherwise we have disorganization and we have chaos and we have injustice. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that every voter goes into that ballot box as an employer and pick the best. Mm -hmm. And, and I would like to say people. something. Go ahead. I would, like to, I would like to reiterate on something. I represent your brother, your uncle, your father, your grandfather, your homie, your main man, that's what I represent. I can't vote. I can't vote because that was taken away from me. Right. But for all of you family members, because I know it's somebody in your family that's doing time, you got a cousin, a homeboy, best friend, uncle, father, somebody, somebody's doing a lot of time. You can change it. For anybody that can vote, I promise you, you can change it. So please, man, if there's nothing you got out of this, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, go vote. And vote like, man, that you, that you depend on it for the rest of your life because I'm standing here because somebody believed and they believed in me. So please, man, y'all go vote. Mm. That's uh, Mr. Fenner uh, said very well. Uh, and those are words of wisdom. I'm hoping my viewers and, and, and listeners will actually listen to and know the importance because I've been educating people this whole like summer since yes. the pandemic, yes. like, telling the importance of voting and just the trying urgency. to educate people, the urgency to vote, especially yes. during this election. Well, I like to end the show, my angel, uh, with the talk that talk questions. I call them the triple TQs. Uh, three questions I just want you to answer and respond off the top of your head, um, which I know you're great at. But what advice would you give to an aspiring criminal defense attorney? Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't make career decisions based on getting trial experience or this experience. You know, don't make your career decisions based on sort of professional ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Let what you believe, like your spiritual force, keep that light going and keep it bright. And when you feel discouraged, turn that light up even brighter. Um, speak louder, speak clearer, because that's been the one thing in my own career that I've always sourced. I always try to source my courage from my own fears, anxieties. I'm afraid in every case of losing. Every case I cry at my keyboard. Every time. I might not say that to Mr. Fenner, 
But just the weight of feeling like I might not win this case makes me just clench down even harder. So I would say to any aspiring lawyer, figure out and define for yourself who you are. Make that a non-negotiable. Tend to your light. Keep your flame tended to. And press forward. Always press forward. Mm. Great response. So the next one, what effects do you hope your initiatives will have on the criminal injustice system? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that seeing Mr. Finner free mm-hmm. is an unquantifiable contribution because it radically changes and shifts his bloodline, right? In way, just his presence back in his family. And so I hope that is always my prayer is that people see the impact of repairing families and putting people back where they're supposed to be with their families. That's something that will be felt for generations. We talk a lot about generational trauma and I try to work in generational repair. And the last question, what is the legacy that you would like to leave for future generations? Um, You know, I definitely think that I think about my own ancestors. I'm the granddaughter of a sharecropper who couldn't read or write. And going, graduating from high school, my grandfather was so proud of me. And then going to college, you know, I remember my grandfather calling me my freshman year. And I didn't even know he could like make phone calls. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like it was, but he just was breathing into me um, courage. And, you know, I, I think about the fact that I wasn't, I'm not supposed to be here because he was being sought and chased by the KKK who chased our family out of Arkansas because my grandfather stood up to them after they tried to short him on some money as a sharecropper, right? Mm. And so I think about um, what if he had been caught? What if, my, if he hadn't taken his family and moved to Missouri in the middle of the night? What if he had been lynched? Then I wouldn't be here. Right. And none of this would have happened by my hand. And so I hope that um, my legacy is that I made my ancestors proud. Mm. Powerful. I love it, my angel. So I want to just thank you and Mr. Finner for joining the podcast. This was an awesome interview. Uh, Great perspectives. Uh, more than I anticipated today. And I just applaud you for just getting everybody on, my angel, from. Uh, Mr. Finner and and Trey the Truth as well. So again, thank you for joining the podcast. This is going to be a great one. Very informative. People need to listen and watch. Follow you. Do you want to give any information of where they can find, locate you, see what you're doing? You know, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So you can follow our work on Instagram at Lawyer My Angel. That's Lawyer M-I, not M-Y, M-I-A-N-G-E-L. Um, also, if you want to support, you can text the words uh, third strike to 44321. So just type in 44321 in a text and uh, in the body of the text, uh, third strike. And that will pull up ways to support and link arms with us. So I, I love to hear from people. I love to hear if um, people, any of your listeners have family members serving life in federal prison for drugs. Um, I want to make sure that we, they're on our radar. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll get the word out as well. And Mr. Finner, thank you so much for joining. Oh, I Congratulations. thank you guys very much. Oh, You're man. more than welcome. 
And Thank I wish you, you the much. best in your future endeavors. I know you're going to go on and do great things and just continue I will to spread try. the word. Yeah, you're going to do I it. I will try. That's right. That's right. All right. Blessings to you both. And thank you for joining. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, what a great episode. This is episode 16. I had the pleasure of having my angel, Cody, um, a woman warrior, a litigator, criminal defense, federal criminal defense attorney who's been doing the work. And you can go and see what she's doing on her platforms, which she just said as well as just go to her website and go to the Decarceration Collective uh, and just see the work she's doing, continuing to do with other attorneys around the country. But we have to applaud this sister because she's doing great things and we have to support her because our community, especially in the black community, we need people like my angel Cody. And I also want to thank Mr. Finner for joining. He didn't have to do that to give his story. Wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors as well as Trey the Truth jumping on. We know how busy he is. He's trying to get awareness out in the community. He's an activist. You know, he's in his philanthropy. He's helping kids with cancer. Um, And he's trying to get the initiative out there, the importance of voting for criminal injustice reform, as well as holding police officers accountable for the type of police brutality we've been seeing for years, and especially during this pandemic. But I want to continue the trend like I always do and shout out a black business. And this week, the black business that I will be shouting out is Janaki Clothing Line. This is a clothing line where my friend, good friend, Sharufa Walker, is, this is her baby. This is her company. She started this company a few years ago and has been producing fantastic, unique clothing for her customers, consumers. And she's really put herself out there. The work she's doing is unique, handcrafted. You know, she is like designing and stitching this stuff herself. Uh, But she does have a team. And because we're supporting her this week on the show or on the podcast, she's going to support my viewers and listeners. And she's giving out a promo code. It's the promo code is talk that talk. So if you put the promo code in and you go to her website and want to make purchases of any type of clothing, you'll get 50% off between October 26th, which is Monday, and up until November 16th when the promo code will end. So please go check out Janaki. If you want to see what they're doing and go to their IG handle, it's simply official Janaki, that's spelled J I. N-A-K-I, or you can go to their website, which is janaki.net forward slash. So go to the website, make a purchase, promo code, talk that talk, get 50% off, get that money, get those clothes. It's important. Support this sister because she's doing great things. And that is the Black Business shout out this week. So again, I appreciate everybody listening and following the show. This was an incredible episode, and I hope you guys listen. Give me some feedback. Reach out to my angel, Cody. She already said, if you have any family members that are incarcerated serving federal life sentences, she has an open ear, and she's willing to listen to see what she can do to help. So let's do it. Continue to support our community and our activists and our attorneys that are just doing the work and putting in the time. But this is episode 16 of Talk That Talk. And this was a great one. And we're going to start a bi-weekly thing with the show. So it will not be a new episode the following week. But we'll see you again in two weeks on November 9th. 
And I'll have a great episode coming up with former coach, basketball coach, Paul Hewitt. So stay tuned. That will be a good one. See you next time.